welcome to I Am, I Have. I'm Lucy Donoghue and this podcast is brought to you by Happiful Magazine and Counselling Directory. Now we all have mental health and some of us will experience or live with mental illness, but that doesn't define who we are. Through I Am, I Have, we'll meet with some wonderful people who have spoken out about mental health and illness and we'll find out more about who they are and the passions that shape their lives as well as their reflections on their own mental health. If you haven't already, check out some of our other podcasts in season two of I Am, I Have, including Megan Crabb, Rose McGowan and Aaron Harvey. We hope you'll share your thoughts on social media using the hashtag I Am, I Have. And please rate and leave us a review if you like what you hear. It really helps others to find us and we read every comment you post. I'm so happy to welcome Luke Ambler to I Am, I Have today, especially after hearing him talk at Happerful's Podfest for Mental Health. Thank you so much for joining us, Luke. Thanks for having me. I Am, I Have is all about who we really are. So rather than me telling everyone about you, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself, if that's okay, Luke. Yeah, it's uh, difficult on that, isn't it? So yeah, my name's Luke Ambler. I'm the founder of Andy's Man Club, but first and foremost, I'm a dad. A bloke from up north. Um, just a lover of people, a lover of life, really. That's why I think it's quite ironic that I run a suicide prevention charity uh, because opposite of suicide is obviously life in it. So I fucking love life. So I think, yeah, the irony in that, isn't there? <laughs> there is irony in that. And I want to talk a lot more about Andy's Man Club later and yep. how it how it started as well. Um, but we're going to kick off with your first I am, which is I am a dad. Yep. So tell us more about that. Yeah, Um at the start of the full details, like the night of our, I'm joking. <laughs> you don't have to tell us about conception, that's <laughs> it, fine. Yeah, there won't be a long story <laughs> that. So, um, no, initially I'm a stepdad, so I've got a, a, a great little lad called Alfie, who's my stepson. Uh, so I brought him up and, you know, that's got its own challenges on it, being being a step-parent, so, uh, which I don't talk about publicly a lot, but being a step-parent, you know, it, it's difficult, uh, which is great, still sees his dad, but there's loads of challenges with that in there, which... You know, he's, he's interesting, but and then I've got two beautiful little daughters as well, so Aubrey and Ada. So with Triple A, we've got Alpha, Aubrey and Ada, and just had this baby, and it's probably changed my life a little bit, really. Not that my last baby didn't, my, my little Aubrey, but I was a rugby player then, so I had loads of time yeah. doing what I do now, having a few businesses, running this charity. I'm just seeming to be here, there, and everywhere. So it's grounded me a little bit having Ada, especially with the difficulties in Lisa's birth. She had a real rough birth. Right. And, um, yeah, having Ada, just a little smile. Do you know what I realise with kids? And my daughter smiles at me all the time. She'll just get out of stage and she smiles. But she smiles at me because all she wants is my attention. She doesn't want anything else from me. And I think which is unbelievable, like, when you look at it like that. Because in society, you, you're often nice people. Most people are when they want to, aren't they? And just to make me think the other day that I'm grateful for her just because she looks at me and without wanting anything other than me and shouldn't know anything about me shouldn't know my flaws shouldn't know my good bits and it just really got me thinking about every day while I drive I'd think loads while I'm driving yeah that you know my little baby daughter just looks at me and I'm excited to get home and see her tonight oh and that's it's so pure as well isn't it yeah. that kind of love at that real age. Love in it, so. they haven't learned you know all of the things that kind of toddlers and slightly older can learn to it get their way around you and exactly. like shouldn't that. hate me yet does she like other ones so <laughs> I'm strict, so she's all right, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And you mentioned your wife, Lisa, there as well. Um, and we were talking before we started the podcast about how you work everything with being so busy as well. Yeah. So, Luke, uh, if you don't follow him on Instagram, you should. is doing a lot of work around mental health and Andy's Man Club and all across the country as well. Yeah, yeah. So you were in London today, you were in Cumbria yesterday. Yeah. And as a dad and a husband, how do you manage all of that? 
Um, for being honest, I don't think I do it very well all the time because it, it is hard, and you want to be there for your kids. Uh, they're the most important thing. It is at my first I am, and that's probably what Ada brought to me this year, just thinking about what's most important because when she was born back in November, uh, I was working in a prison, and I got a message off Lisa just saying that so she might have preeclampsia, which is, you know blood pressure going up and yeah. another way to get rid of preclamps to get the baby out so we ended up delivering the baby early uh, and after Lisa gave birth it was really smooth and end up uh, but we had real difficulties on his last birth with Aubrey Lisa had an asthma attack and we declared critical right. and I just had a, a flashback because she um, after she gave birth she went to get a shower and she hemorrhaged uh, and she got blood clot in her womb which is eyes wrist to a woman uh, in death after mm. her birth and I remember like looking at my baby and thinking like I can't really can't really like feel attached to you right now because your mum's about to die. I had all those flashbacks from before where she was critical and it was difficult and it sort of gave me a bit of grounding about what I wanted to do. And I've um, I've really changed my, my business and how I'm running that and you know and what I'm doing. So you know what I'm doing now gives me a lot more opportunities to do stuff like this again, like I did in the early days. And you know um, when you're running a business, it, it is hard getting that balance because you want to put as a man. I'm not saying women don't, but as a, a man from up north, my my job is to put bread on the table. But at the same time, if I'm not there to cut that bread with them and eat it, then it's pointless me putting it on there. So I'm at a position now where I'm, I'm building stuff where I can be there more for my kids and my family because that's number one to me. Absolutely. And that comes out loud and clear. When we spoke yesterday on the phone, it was the first thing that you wanted to talk about is the fact that you're a dad. So yeah. thank you for sharing that with us. Your second one... Um, is also something that you really expressed at Podfest for Mental Health and why we love you at Happful, which is that you are real. Um, talk to us about being real and why that's important to you. From being eight years old, I've been fake, fake as they come, just maths trying to fit in. Um, when my parents separated and, um, you know, mum had a car crash and I was comfort eating, I used to put a mask on, try to fit in, try to right. be smart I want. Um, you know, joker at rugby and stuff like that. And then when you made it as a pro rugby player, try to fit in with lads and never really felt like I was me. And then three years ago, I just decided to quit rugby because I just didn't feel like I fitted in. And since that day, I took that mask off and, and threw it in bin and I've, I've been as real as they come. Not saying that before I want, I want aspects of my life that were real. I don't mean that. I just mean everything we're always like to fit in. I never felt like I fitted in. I was a kid at school that got bullied all the time, which is often hard for people to understand now being six foot three, eight in stone. But I hated school, you know, at the time. I wasn't a bad kid, I went and got my work done and no one knew the rock going on, but parents had separated, mum had a car crash, we left her with slight brain damage and mental illness and my dad had won custody and bringing us up on his own and I was going to school and getting levered because I was a comfort eater and people wanted to bully me because of my size and, and I was cheeky back because I thought that humour would help get me through it and it, it didn't really, it just it just a mask and probably carried that through in other areas of my life growing up and you know even when I started meeting girls and stuff like that, you know. Uh, one thing I never ever talked about publicly uh, is I've got a birthmark on my face and, and that were always like something I were always you know worried about and just just always like fake even not like I never took a picture of that side of my face you know you probably see it now you know mm -hmm. a lot of people think that in certain lights it's horrible like how oh, my skin is I used to be real real worried about it and yeah just I'd be fake up with the real me and, and now I don't really give a shit at all like because I just think like all the opinion that matters are you is you and uh, someone once challenged me on that they said what about your kid's opinion I said well that, that doesn't actually that, that matter that much to me because we all do stuff as parents that's wrong for us kids at times. Of course. And they love you for it. And then also, you might do the, the right thing by them. They might not, they're going to get to teenagers, my two daughters are going to hate me. Um, but as long as they do the right thing <laughs> for by a them. Bit. Yeah, for a bit they are. <laughs> but as long as they do the right thing by them and keep doing the right thing, be the best version of me, then they'll get the best dad, will they? So the real thing is something that I'm really pushing now in society as a whole. You know, it, it kills me social media sometimes when it 
you know, people want to portray that they're successful or that they're doing really well, and, and really they're not. And I think that's a, just adds to everyone else's fuel and fire. And I'm like, I'll openly say about my struggles, or I don't have a mask at all now. You could ask me anything, I won't give a shit about telling you because there might be one person listening who'll go, I, I could take a bit out of that. And that's what being real is to me, with no mask. Do you know, and I'm so shocked, and when you started to say about, you know, I was fake, I made a face at you. because Sorry, yeah. Because that's really hard to believe, meeting yeah. you now. You seem to have such confidence in being real and honest, and at Podfest for Mental Health, there was a lady who asked a question. I won't say too much about it, because I want to protect what she was talking about. But you got up, and it was a very it was a very emotive uh, subject, and you yep. got up, and you just went over and gave her a hug. Yep. And that changed everything that day for that woman, because it was a real human connection. And it was very real and it was very honest. And I just wonder what changed for you to be able to be that real if you grew up masking? I think when you hit rock bottom, right. um, or you're raw, everyone's got their own rock bottom, aren't they? And I think I just realised that at, at one point in my life, it just it just clicked. I think people often say it takes you like, you know, I speak to people all the time and they go, it took me five years to change. It took me 10 years. So I said, no bullshit. It took you 10 years to make a decision to change. You know, I made a decision that day after five years of or 20 years of not making a good decision and finally decided to change and, and be the best version of me. And I think that's what a lot of people are struggling with now. Not just being the best version of themselves, actually. Try to be better than someone else. Uh, and I was there, you know, I always want to be better than other rugby players. I know the competition's a good thing. That's not what I'm about. But, you know, I always want to just to fit in. That were a thing that I always got. And now, weirdly enough, like standing in front of a crowd of a thousand people, just being honest and telling a story, I never feel like I fitted in as much. And I tell stuff that I want to told people fraction of back in the day and I'm like people respect real like genuine respect like I get met I, this week alone I've done like you know, seven eights nines tens I've done a Cumbria staff group I've you know and even at this meeting I've just been to where we're all like high level talking government strategy and I just hit people with it real they respect that and it's not like I don't even try to do it I just say what like what's on my mind and it's not like I'm abrupt with it and you know, I just if I think someone's you know bullshitting or or whatever it is I just, I just say it. it's took years to finally take that mask off but I just think it's what everyone needs to do. And it sounds like you're completely comfortable in that as completely. well. Completely. Like, utterly comfortable with it because, as I said, you know, people respect that. You get a lot more you get a lot more respect, don't you, from just being open and honest with people. And I think people, you're open and honest with someone else, they'll be more open and honest with you. Yeah. Uh, if you bullshit someone, they'll bullshit you. And that's what I think I've got a big problem with and that's what I'm just working hard on every day just to be the best version of me and that's by being realer and rawer every day. And I think it gives people to permission to be real yeah you know we we were chatting on the phone yesterday my dog started barking in the background and you told me a story because I was embarrassed because yeah. I was trying to be a grown-up professional which is not really me um and you told me a story about something that happened to you that was very real about a meeting that you were due to have do you want to share that remind me because <laughs> it, it was with, I was going to say you've done a million things it was planned. with a the shadow mental health Oh yeah, <laughs> that does somewhat real, doesn't it? Yeah. So, and I want to make you feel less embarrassed than I, because I told yeah. you a story about. So, uh, Paula Sheriff, who's the sec shadow secretary for for health in our country, uh, what a meeting uh, with myself about his man club, and um, I just totally forgot. Like they said that it were happening, and then they didn't come back to us. So I said to Sabrina, I said, "Oh, stuff it. I'm not bothering them if they're not getting back to us." So I got my kids for breakfast in the morning. Said Mrs. Go to work, cancelled childcare, took them down for some pancakes with Nutella on. They were both covered, and then Sabrina and me said, Oh, they're expecting you like like now. Where, they've said, Where where are you? So I'm not going, I'm, I'm I've got my kids now. She said, Oh, but they're they're 
they said that they're expecting you. So we'll tell her I'll be there in half an hour, but I'm going to have my kids with me. Because I thought, like, to me, I just don't see anyone as above or below you, like no one. So I just rocked up with two kids. I had a pair of flip-flops on, ripped jean shorts, rocked up. I had my little girl covered from head to toe in Nutella, my little boy, same, and sat with shadow secretary and told her all about his organisation. And could just see her instantly just, like, um, her mask just come off and she started opening up and stuff, which were cool. So, and uh, that's... It's just real, isn't it? Like we all like when you dog bark, that's not we get embarrassed though, especially on a work call. <laughs> you know, my daughter screams and I'm on a work call, so sorry, it's my baby, like what do you want me to do? Like do you want me to pretend I don't have I have a don't have a perfect life. Exactly. And the person we are at work doesn't exclude everything else and everything that's come before and all of those other things. So and as you said in that meeting, it was actually probably a more real meeting because yeah. it didn't have the trappings of something that was, you know, a formal meeting. But you mentioned Andy's Man Club then and I wanted to touch on that and for you because that was a very real happening in your life that yep. was that was the catalyst for Andy's Man Club. So are you happy to talk about yeah, how course, it started? Yeah, yeah of course, yeah. Um, 3rd of April 2016, my brother-in-law, Andrew Roberts, up at my house having a good laugh and joke. Um, we've done about buying an house. So, you know, me and his sister, we've got some houses, so we're going to help him do that. And he turned his life around, Andy. He'd been in that prison a little bit, a bit of a little shit. But he turned his life around the last few years. Got a beautiful little daughter, got a good job now. Car got away from all his old mates, all his drain mates. And uh, started kicking on with his life and uh, he wanted to buy this house. And... Uh, as I said, when we were laughing joke, normal weekend, next day I got up and went and watched his old football team play football. Managed to convince him to get his boots on, ends up playing, then he goes and gets his daughter and my kids and my missus, they all got play gym while I'm playing rugby. That night he snapped his mates him back about a trip to Thailand they're going on. I think they've got to put the deposit down on Thursday or something. So he's seen me Wednesday, then Thursday. Gets up next morning as normal, goes to work, and then kills himself that night, 23-year-old. Uh, no sign, no signal, no warning nothing uh, and the catalyst came when I got a phone call next day um, off my mother-in-law Elaine um, my phone rang and uh, you know it's my mother-in-law so I wasn't answering it but then it rang again and I knew something wasn't right so I just said hello she said our Andrew's dead um, and I've experienced a lot of death so at first it was like whoa but um, I said I'm on my way so I had no idea how I died at this point so I just jumped in the car and I, I left Alfie at ground my little boy who was so close with Andy and I shot up to the house and I walked to the house and it was like no one ever experienced could have had, cut the atmosphere of a knife you know my um, I lost a lot of people growing up grandparents were close to Andy's uncle's friends who've you know gone to sleep and not woke up a lot of death but this was completely different and I remember um, just when she told me she'd killed herself in Woods Across Road it was like someone put a sledgehammer from his stomach and in that moment I thought to myself if I feel like this how does she feel because it's her baby son and a baby boy uh, and I realised in that moment that I didn't feel like she should have to tell anyone else about this again so I stepped up and next person through the door my missus Lisa where I had to sit down and explain that a little brother killed himself and watch her crumble in front of me then it were auntie's uncle's friends one by one you know cousins out screaming in the street like I'd not seen it was just like I'd not seen. Then I got in the car, went to the mother of his child's house with my missus, and we had to explain to a two-year-old niece that daddy's not coming home. Then I went and got his car from where I'd left it, rang his best friend. But I always say, the single hardest thing I've ever done, and it still gets me every time I think about it, is when I had to go and tell my little boy Alpha. Because Alpha at my mum's house, so I won't get the image out of my head. Everyone swings it back, I'd having a laugh and joke, when my mum, he had no idea what were coming. I was about to tell him about his favourite person in the world, and gate shut behind us, picked him up off swings, put him down at, bottom of garden and uh, could see me and his mum upset and just had to give him as straight as I could he said what's wrong I said your uncle Andy's died he's, he's gone to heaven and, and the screech in which he let out as a six year old boy fucking crippled me you know as a bloke as a dad all you want to do as a parent is is to protect your kids and I felt like I failed like because he just wouldn't 
uncontrollable and it it just made me realise that no man should go through what Andy's gone through but at the same time no family should go through what we're going through Absolutely. and if I'm being honest if I'm being selfish it was more about the families than it was about the men even though I'm a man myself and I've been through struggles I, I realised let's stop families going through this and uh yeah, we we decided we'd start this thing called Andy's Man Club, a place where men could just come meet and chat. No professionals, no nothing. Just get men in a room and first night, you know, nine men turned up, which was unbelievable. Second week, fifteen men turned up, and you know, the the rest is history, as they say. And you say the rest is history, which is is slightly underplaying because you told me that last week five hundred and eighty six men turned up across the twenty clubs that are in existence. That is quite amazing. Yeah, I don't think I've ever stopped, if I'm being honest. I, even in the early days, people used to say, oh, you bet you've got pinch yourself. I said, no, like, because it's just, it's, we've had his man club, it's a thing that just, like, yeah, we've opened down five hundred eighty-six men, like, whoopee, but it's going to open again next Monday as well. Yeah. And it's going to open Monday after. Yeah. And then 600 will come, and then 650 will come, and then 1,000 will come, and then we'll open another 10 clubs, and then it's just going to keep rolling like it's a movement, and movements are different to organisations, I say. We are an organisation, structurally, that's what you've got to be for the people above that need that, who, who need you to have it be certain ways. But we've always been the round up peg that fits in the square, that don't fit in the square hole. Yeah. And we always will be. And uh, yeah, we'll just keep moving. It is what was nice this morning on my Facebook memories that came up that exactly three years ago, there's a picture of like um, 15 lads and it's and it had a picture from the back of us all. And it just said, or oh, 16 lads, and it says, um, amazing to now see 16 men walk through our door. And I'm like, wow, three years later, and that's increased by 570 in just three years with one full-time staff in Andy. Oh, ironically, there's no tie in there. And a part-time um, girl in Sabrina, and that's it. You know, on the outside, you know, if we're looking at it, we're probably the second, if not the third, definitely the third biggest suicide prevention charity in the UK now. And we've got one and a half staff, which is madness, in it? When you look at Samaritans, we'll have, well, I know Samaritans have got 20,000 volunteers and, 260 staff, yeah. calm zone, 60 staff are smoked off now, mm. and we've got one and a half and a board of trustees, and that's it. It's um, it's mad when you look at it like that, isn't it? It is, and it comes from such real experience as well, you know, as you, you described earlier on. But the other thing is those are 586 people who wanted to come and talk, um, and that's growing. So there's obviously a, a huge need for Andy's Man Club. And just if anyone's listening to this who can who can make it to an Andy's Man Club, can you tell me what they can expect when they arrive? Yeah, do you know, it's going to be the, probably one of the hardest things you've ever done walking through that door, but yeah. it's for any man. Even I, when I turned to a club that I have been to for a while, it's still that anxiety of walking through that door and that what if, but once you get through that door and you push yourself, because listen, end of the day for me, a, bit, a big thing with, with mental health or problems in life is that you've got to take that step. You can blame government, you can blame specialists, you can blame anyone else, but like you've got to do what's in your power as well. That's a big thing for me. Yeah. And walking through that door, no one's going to drag you. Because you can't, it's your choice to get better. And um, when you do walk through that door, you've been met by a brother of the people who, who want to help you, who've been exactly where you've been. Listen, no problem is unique. Everyone thinks that their problem's unique and that no one else has been through it. There's not a problem on this earth that's new, unique, not one problem. So, you know, anyone who thinks that it's worse that's happened to them, there's always someone with a worse story. Even though it might be personal to you right now, there's someone in that 
one of our rooms that can relate to you and can empathise with you and who's been exactly through what you've been through. Whether that be, you know, you've been a subject to domestic violence to your partner or whether you're in a load of debt or you've had a relationship breakdown or you've lost your job or you've got suicidal thoughts or you're anxious or you're depressed or you've got a mental illness. There's someone in every room of one of our groups who've been through that and are coping with that. And you come in, you'll have a brew, you'll sit down and then our facilitator of the night is someone who's used the group you know, it's not professional, it's not someone who's paid to be there. Everyone in that room is a volunteer. And they'll have a ball that we have, sponge ball, which is iconic. I put a post the other day about, and I called it iconic, the ball. <laughs> because the reason why it's iconic is because the ball gets passed around. That's what happens. And when you've got the ball, you're speaking. And there's a big anxiety about when that ball's coming around and it gets closer to you because it's your turn to speak. Some will just pass that ball straight on, which is fine. They're not ready to speak. Some, it's a brief word and a squeeze and they'll pass it on. For some, it's... A year's worth, it's, it's a lifetime worth of demons that get blurted out on that ball with a twist and a turn, turn of that ball, and then they pass it on. So that ball is very iconic. And I put that on a post, and someone said, That ball saved my life, which is unbelievable to think in it that someone could think that a sponge ball just by having that ball in their hand and being it open up and it, that being their safe haven. So for many years, uh, and then, you know, it's five questions that get asked. Um, and everyone always lives with a smile on the face, which is mad when you think someone comes in severely depressed, they still live with a smile on the face. Very rare someone won't live with a smile on the face. Yeah. I've not witnessed it yet. Because the questions that get asked towards the end are always something a bit different, you know. This week's questions at the end, four and five, were pick three people you're going on a road trip with and why. You know, and it just makes you think a little bit differently. It? it takes you away from that thought of what's going bad at home. Yeah. And then fifth one was, um, tell us something you're grateful for in life and why. Even in your darkest days, you can still find something you're grateful for. Might be the fact that you got to open your eyes. You know, it might be the fact that your daughter did push you to go tonight and you still got a daughter right now or a wife or a girlfriend or you even though work's been tough on you, you've still got a job. Yeah. So it's finding something in your life that's grateful because ultimately that's the glimmer of hope in it and hope is what keeps us alive. Absolutely. And the human connection, I think, must be a crucial part of it and hearing other people because we don't talk we still don't talk enough. And yeah. I I don't know, I can't speak as a man but I suspect that it's much harder yeah until you get through those doors yeah weirdly like people will share things they've never shared with anyone so it takes two weeks I was with a guy the other day it was beautiful actually and I know this guy very well and I thought he'd been using the group for like nearly a year two years I thought he must be going every week and opening up and he had a break from it and he had a big meltdown over a week and a bad bad got rock bottom and um, he went to a group and when it went, how's your week been? I turned that hour at that group, weirdly enough. He said, do you mind if I just read some out? And he'd written it all down instead. He said, I've never told you all this, but boom. It's it with everything that he had, everything. And it was real powerful. And that was his way of, of letting it off. And all the lads are like just round him, like, yeah, class, like, you know, wow. And um, it's human connection. But I, I look back sometimes and, like, get rid of all society, like what we're doing now. You know, it's all, we're all wanting everything instant. Like, if you just go back to, like, our root as animals, you know, men would have sat around in the little skirts or whatever they covered to cover the private bits and there'd have been a fire going, wouldn't they? They just sat around grunting at each other. And <laughs> and his man was this big circle just without the fire where people sit around grunting but in positive ways, like they're just offloading negative stuff but then finding positive stuff and just changing that mindset. We still need face-to-face as humans. Unbelievable. And I think it's, you know, we're more connected than we've ever been but yet we're, we're more disconnected than we've ever been at the same time. I agree. Well, thank you. And if someone wants to find out about Andy's Man Club, the website is andysmanclub.co.uk. Correct, yeah. Um, and if you're listening to this and you think that it's for you, then please do go and check it out. Um, you'll be really welcome. Your third I am is you tell us I am raw. So real and raw. Tell yeah. us tell us about being raw. 
I think it really just um, re- that relates very well with being real. I think that's what reason why that came about was I would try to think about what I'd write for my website for a talk, and someone else had wrote this little write up about me. They'd been to a couple of my talks, and they were going to help me just put some stuff together for like a blog or something, or a synopsis for a book or something. And they'd put down Luke is real, raw, and one of a kind, and. That were off a guy who'd been all of my talks, and I thought, I like that because I don't want to be real, I don't want to be raw. Raw to me is just like, there's no bullshit, is there? When you're raw, it's down to a bone job, innit? It's just down to a bone. There's no beating round bush, there's no bullshit. It's just like, yeah, I have that, let's get into it. And that's what I think it's about. It's just getting raw people, getting deep, you know. Yep. That's what being raw is to me. I don't know if that's what you think being raw is. I, no, I do think it is. I think it's about being unfiltered, and I think it's about. Um, not trying to guard anything, not trying to, you know, at PodFest for Mental Health, you talked about a lot of different things. And sometimes it's very easy in those panels for things to become slightly, um, I don't know. It's easy to say the right thing. It's easy to say the right thing. What you think people want to know. And that's what I used to hate about rugby. Like if you watch a rugby interview and a lot of lads take the mick out of it now because they'll say they're just the right thing to say. For example, like in a rugby sense, after a game, you'll hear on an interview or a football, great effort by the lads when they might have been playing shit. Yes. But like, you know, they'll still just say it because it's the right thing to say. It's what everyone else says. And for me, like being real and raw in about like saying just the right thing for the sake of it. So at the podcast event, you know, and any panel I sit on, because um, I get to invite to a lot of these and it does end up becoming where it's quite, people suddenly think I'm unique. And it's not that, it's just that I just don't say what, for the sake of it. It's like your face when I said I'm fake. You were like, oh, crap, he's meant to be saying that's real. <laughs> weren't you? And, you're no, like, and I was thinking, no, you're I just... like, I'll get to it. Like, you know, I'll get to what I'm, I'm meaning. But that's raw, isn't it? To open up to you and to say, actually, I was fake because yeah. I was never really me. That's raw. I think so. I think my I think my uh, face was more about the fact I can't imagine you ever being fake. Oh, really? Having... I mean, I've only met you twice, yeah. um, but I can't imagine you ever being fake because you you have been so open in the times. And today, I think part of that rawness as well is you've you've talked about your children, you've talked about your brother-in-law, you've talked about your wife's births, you've you've told us a lot about some really traumatic times in your yeah. life without any kind of filter for that. And I think. Again, that gives permission for people to say the same things exactly. and say, this this changed things for me. This was really tough. Rather than, you know, and we're fine now because with Instagram and all the social media, everything gets prettied up for oh, the camera. Everything. everything. Um, and raw is really important. So thank you for being raw. I'm real. <laughs> um, and we're going to move on to sure, I Have, which is a great one. Um and you started at the beginning when you said that you were younger and you felt like you masked things. You said, I have a past. Yep. Tell us about your past. And because you got put into like a little sentence, I just thought, you know, I have a past because I think everyone views you as you are now. Oh, I just did, didn't I? Yeah, everyone does, don't they? Everyone does, like, if you've got a good body. Like, I saw something really recently on Twitter, something like, someone was saying, like, oh, it's embarrassing that Love Island always put people with good bodies on. Right, which some people would straight away go, oh, yeah, I get that body image and that. But then I commented back, well, it's embarrassing that these these people all go to the gym and look after themselves, yeah. like, like because 
just because, you know, who knows that that person didn't have an eating disorder or they'd had a problem in their life growing up, which is why now they look after themselves and they look good or they may be really self-conscious. You know, just, I don't know why people have to always, like, try to put people down. So, for me, I've had a lot of people put me down, even when I've done some really good stuff. You know, Andy's Mankle, I've never earned a penny for, I never will. It's all been out of my own pocket. And I still had people in my small town of Halifax still saying, it's okay to talk, it's clearly made someone a lot of money, blah, 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 this has done more damage than good, and all this stuff. And that were hard to take, you know. You know, if you get in raw, that were, uh, it's rawest, it, it were really hard. You know, when you actually do something good, people forget that behind Man Club, there's Andy. Yeah. You know, Saturday was his birthday, went out for a family meal, and people forget that, you know, and that's what were hard for me. And little throwaway comments like that one on Twitter, you know, about that is just because that made you feel better writing that because you want to put someone else down. That, that's not what I'm about. So when I say I have a past, I think people look at me now as this guy who is um, positive and seems like he's got good energy, but that hasn't always been the case, has it? Like, I believe that where people go wrong is they don't realise that like, I built this person who sat across from you now. Yeah. I built him. Like, And that might sound daft, like you, know, you say, are oh, you busy simply doing that? Like, At one point, I might not have handled this. And I have this, a lot of people like, I want to be able to like, do as much as you can. I'm like, Why? Like, build yourself up, man. Like, I'm burnt out. I'm like, you will be. Because I didn't just suddenly one day go, I'm going to start doing everything. Yeah. It took me time to build up to do what I do. So when I say I have a past, yeah, I've got a mum with a mental illness. Otherwise, drop attacks, you know, and she'll smash her face off floor and knock her teeth out, break her jaw cheekbone. Didn't leave her house for four years because she was anxious. So I saw that. Bullied every day. And the physical stuff I can handle. I'm not worried about getting beat up. Mentally, the scars that that leaves is difficult, you know, as a kid. And then that going on to your rugby life and never feeling like you fit in, you know, and then... My past is people think I'm this really good good guy, you know, and I, I lost plot one time, you know. I um I got let go from Lee Drynos, who were world champions. It was my dream come true. I'm a kid from a you know, single parent background, not much money. And I ended up playing for world champions. I got let go, a new manager had come in and I blamed him for everything that happened next, but I don't now because I think if you're gonna blame someone for what goes wrong in your life, blame them for what goes right. If I wanna give him the credit for, for me leaving Leeds, I'm also gonna give him credit for me sat here today telling yeah. a story because if you wouldn't have done oh I wouldn't have got let go then I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now it's the butterfly effect in it that's what I think my life I live by that one small localised change can have wide effects elsewhere Absolutely. and each and every area of your life has led you to exactly where you are now your decision to go out that night when you met your husband right you know your decision to walk into that bar and meet that boss or that person who's now your boss or for you for this podcast you know reaching out to someone who ends up putting you onto SoundCloud or wherever that may be and you end up being here. It's called SoundCloud, isn't it? Sound Company. Sound Company. Just a little plug in there. Yeah, but you might have to that's very that. nice. Yeah, don't edit that. We'll sound. keep that in. Yeah, do you know what I mean? They're like, and everything you do in life, you're meeting someone out, you're like, if I want to come to that podcast that day, from Book of Man, I want to meet yourself, I want to be sat here having a real and raw conversation now, would we? So, Absolutely. It's a butterfly effect and I think too many people want to look at the past in a bad light. I'm thankful for every bad thing that's happened to me. Do you know why I'm thankful for it? Why? Because I can't change it. Yeah. So I might as well be thankful for it. I'm not thankful that Andy died, no. right? But I can't change he's died. So I'm thankful for what's come from it, that thousands of men are now saved because of him. But I can't bring him back. I can't change the fact that my mum had a car crash, which which were very, very difficult to deal with, seeing my mum in that way. But that gave me a passion for mental illness and breaking stigmas down, which originally got me doing my public speaking. I can't change it that night. I went out one day and I exploded. I drank a lot, I'd broke up my missus, my life was rock bottom, and I ended up beating some people up and found myself sat in a police cell asking a victim question, which is why me, which a lot of us ask ourselves. Why me, why me, why me? I changed the question. 
that night, sat in that place till to what's next, which meant what can I do next about this, which is what I live my life by now. So when Andy died, I were already set, I were already ready to go, and it sounds daft, but anything that happens, my missus, my mind worked that fast, my missus in that hospital that day, that said, right, if this does go wrong, well, you've still got to bring kids up regardless. Like, you're going to have to bring kids up. You're not quitting on them. So if she goes now, make sure you make her proud, and that's how I live now. And it might sound insensitive, but it's not. Because it still doesn't mean I don't feel the same pain everyone else does. I just feel you get two choices. Let that pain use you, which is dark, it's deep, it's heavy. Or use that pain as motivation. And I feel that's what keeps me going every day when everyone asks me. Because I'm willing to use the stuff from the past in a positive light as opposed to negative. You've used it as a building block. Everything has been a building block. Everything. Regardless of whether it was deeply painful. Um, and there is a lot of deeply painful things that you've just talked about there. But you've used it in a really positive way. Um, and I'm just so pleased you came and talked to us about all of this because I think that's going to help a lot of people. Um, and I was rendered slightly mute then when you were talking about that because you're right. You're right. You have two choices in every circumstance, which way you go from something that is deeply hurtful, painful. Um, and as you said earlier on, only you can do that. Only you can make that step. Um, and I think you've shown lots of people that you've done it and other people can do it too. So It's not easy. And it's think, not easy. And I think like people, some people, everyone takes everything two ways, don't they? You can tell one per, per it's to tell five, ten people a piece of advice, five will take it one way, five will take it another. And all it takes is one person to take it one way to spread it to other four. So by me saying self-help, there was someone who goes, oh yeah, whatever, self-help. I'm like, for me, like I, I get all the time, I'll say to people, like, if you really want to give up on life, right? if you really want to give up on life, Right, I get that, right? But do me a favour before you do. You exhaust every avenue first. If then you exhaust every avenue and there's nowhere and you've tried everything, that's fair enough. And do you know why I say that? Do you know why I say that to people? Because once everyone's tried every avenue, they'll always find the way. Yeah. It's just people want to try a hundred things once and think it don't, uh, sorry, a hundred, they want to try one thing a hundred times and wonder why it don't think. And that's the definition of insanity, isn't it? Yeah. Trying the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome. So I say to people, I put it straight on the toes. Okay, listen, if that's really the thing that you want in life, you really don't want to be, I get that. Right, I get that. Pain seems too much. But until you've been and ranked Samaritan, until you've been to a counsellor, until you've tried getting a gym programme, until you've started talking about it, until you've started getting your escapes in order in terms of like, you know, whether it's a red hot bath for you or it's journaling or it's, it's learning, listening to music or it's, it's writing music or poetry, whatever it is for you, until you've tried every single avenue, don't quit on me. And usually they never do because... Too many people are, it is too easy to throw a towel in. I'm not just talking about in life, I'm about in anything. Mm. You know, we were on about before about relationships and stuff and jobs and people give up too easy. You know, my granddad used to keep plugs, um, as an example, plugs. Yeah. Just in case another plug broke. Well, nowadays, if a plug breaks, you just buy a whole new TV, do Disposable. And, and if people think that about life, I think two people don't put enough value on life in my eyes, which is why we're in an epidemic. And um, that's now that is real and raw to say that I wouldn't normally say public, but I truly don't believe people value life enough. And it takes hard work. Every aspect of life takes hard Every work. Every aspect. People aren't willing to put that work in sometimes, are they? And you were talking on uh, social media yesterday about where you're at now has come from five to six years of really hard graft. Yeah, like people. People, everyone thinks everything is an overnight success. And I'm not even like, forget Andy's man club, right? But let's put that to the side. Yeah. Like, just me is what I do for a living, right? Speaking, you know, travelling around, doing that. And, yeah, like I remember sat 
and I was thinking about it last night. I'd just done another gig yesterday, and I'd, I'd travelled. I'd done like four gigs in the last three days. I remember sat thinking like, how can I be a public speaker? And I remember seeing some kid before, and I was jealous of him. A kid, and he was like, oh, I'm a motivational speaker, and I travel around schools. And I was like, how's he got to do that? I want to do that. It's my dream. Like, I remember being like, every before a rugby game, I used to listen to these uh, speeches, and some lads used to rip me about it. But because I used to just think that's all I want to do. I want to be like Les Brown. I want to travel around just speaking. That's what eventually all I ever want to do. And I, oh, I ended up like, you could say, manifesting it. But I truly like just that's all I ever wanted to do and just worked on it. And it annoys me sometimes because I get like extra rugby players who say, like, oh, God, you got all these talks. I want to do one. And they don't realize that everything I've done, like, it's took me years to train, even just how to communicate when I do a talk. Yeah. Like when I clap at right time or click or do any stuff. And it's not that it's fake, it's just like, because we're in a society, we're up against everything, right? So if I do a talk, most people switch off after, well, not a talk, but like your mind is programmed for a minute now, isn't it? Minute Instagram, uh, YouTube videos. If you go on a YouTube video and it says 30 minutes long, you probably watch the three-minute <laughs> version, yeah. right? I'm trying to find an holiday destination and there's a hotel I'm going and it says three minutes or 12 minutes. Three minutes is always getting watched, yeah. right? Because we want information quick. So I'm doing a talk and I'm talking for an hour and a half to two hours. I've got to keep them engaged for two hours. So it's took me years of training of language and how to do that myself Yeah. to be able to do that. And I think that's took six years to get to where I am now. Yeah. To now like be getting asked to go fly out to Belgium and do talks and to Madrid and all this like cool shit that, you know, that, that I dreamed of. And it's still nowhere near where I want to be, but, but I'm content. It's the first time in my life where I'm content and... That's what I think success is. It's not money. It's not cars, houses, things. It's when you're content with what you've got. I think that that's to me it is. I think so too. And your baby smile in the morning. Yes. <laughs> and that's con- pure contentment because I'm not chasing happiness anymore. Yeah. I think too many people chase happiness. It's a fleeting emotion as well, isn't it? Up and down like sadnesses. Yeah, exactly. You know, I always use an analogy. If you found a tenor in a pair of old jeans, how, how happy would you be? How good's that feeling? Yeah, it's good. It's good. But then as you bend down, I get it in your old jeans you stub your toe yeah now you're pissed off about that 10 pound aren't you (laughs) so it's like happiness just comes and goes like any emotion so contentment though is what an 11 year old girl in burnley told me at school that's what he summed up for me i said to him what's your favorite quote to all these kids and they're all going around and one of them says mine is that when you appreciate what you have you have everything you need 11 year old girl and i'm like wow it's just stuck with me ever since two years ago i did that i'm like yeah i love that and it's a quote that people might have heard before but i'm just like wow yeah when you appreciate everything you have you have everything that you need. And she was 11. 11, I'm like, shit, that's... I didn't Watch say shit her. to her, but <laughs> I, um, I'm i like, yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. That's that's where I'm at now. That's what I've been looking for. That's wonderful. I'm going to ask you one final question. Yep. So we talked about Luke a while ago and the fact that you wanted to do what you're doing now. I'm going to ask you if you could meet Luke 10 years from now. Yeah. What do you hope, if you two could sit down, what do you hope he'd say to you about where he's at 10 years from now? It's consistent that he hadn't changed. He hadn't ever sacrificed anything. He hadn't, and what I mean by that is I'm not about sacrifices. Into you want anything in life, you got to make sacrifices. But that he hadn't sacrificed his values and his beliefs. One thing I've always stayed true to is my values and beliefs. And I think as long as he stays consistent, he stays real and he stays raw, I'll be happy with whatever he's doing. So whether that, you know, but the number one is for me, and if you break it back down to my I ams, I hope when I see Luke in three, ten years, he still says to me, I am a dad and I'm a good dad. I'm the best dad possible. I'm still real Luke and I'm still keeping it raw. And if he says all those three things to me, I'll fist pump him and walk off and uh, see him again in another ten years. That, that'd be it for me. I just thought, 
we've all got to change, we've all got to grow, but I think if I can keep those three things, my kids are number one and they probably haven't been, if I'm being completely real and I'm being completely raw. Over the last few years, running around trying to do all this stuff, my missus haven't been number one, but as long as they know they are, that that would be number one for me. That's wonderful. Thank you, Luke. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you, Luke, for joining us today and also for all the work you continue to do around mental health. If you'd like to know more about his work, visit lukeambler.co.uk and we'll also put further information in our show notes. Don't forget to check out Luke in Conversation on the Book of Man Podfest for Mental Health special, which can also be found on the I Am, I Have channel. And please remember to rate and review. Thank you for listening to I Am, I Have, brought to you by Counselling Directory and Happiful magazine. Please rate, review and share if you like what you hear. It helps others find us and listen too. If you'd like to read more about mental health and well-being, head over to happful.com and sign up to receive a free e-edition of the magazine every month. Now you can also visit the App Store and download our new and developing Happiful app so you can read our magazine on the go too. If you're looking for local counselling support, you can find over 15,000 counsellors at your fingertips at counselling-directory.org.uk. And finally, if you need to speak to someone immediately, the Samaritans are available 24 hours a day on 116 123, and you can also email joe at samaritans.org. Help is available. This podcast has been produced by Happiful. We hope you'll join us again soon.